This will help. All right. Might as well wipe my nose. Anybody know what these are? Pretty nice glasses, aren't they? Anybody have a clue what these glasses would be used for? No one? Oh, this is great. All right, uh, I think there's a basketball over here somewhere. Can someone throw me that? Oh, there you are. Ah, there you go. These are, uh, these are dribbling glasses. So uh, they were created by my father. And uh, yeah, the, uh, they're blinders. Because in basketball, it's really important that you don't watch yourself dribble. That's how you get the ball stolen. That's how you can't see your teammates in order to pass to them. That's how you can't see the hoop and whether you should shoot. You know, this is why, you know, kids, they run under the backstop or a backboard, and then they try to shoot. And, oh, wait, it's over here. And they have to go because they're looking down at the basketball. So these are glasses. They're dribbling glasses. They are patented by my father. Um, I got a pair of these, uh, my children got pairs of these as well, and believe it or not, my wife, of course, she keeps everything, we still have a couple of pairs. So if your kids are learning to dribble, let us know, uh, they're pretty amazing glasses. So anyway, look at that, it stayed, that's amazing. So <laughs> I was a basketball kid, all right, I loved basketball, I, uh, it was kind of my sport, right, I, it was one I enjoyed the most growing up. It was the one that, you know, really got my fire going, right? And I remember as a kid, right, just dreaming, as many kids do if they're in sports, dreaming about the NBA someday, right? And now y'all looking at me going, <laughs> yeah, that, sure, Sean, how old, tall are you? <laughs> or maybe should we, how short are you? Is that a better question? Uh, yeah, and so, but, you know, I'm 5'7 and three quarters, thank you very much. And uh, my inspiration, though, was this little guy named Spud Webb, right? How many remember him, huh? Yeah? 5'7 in the NBA and could dunk. That's right. And uh, so I did come close to dunking once. Believe it or not, I could actually jump pretty high. But yeah, never dunked. But yeah, you just you dream about it, right? Yeah, you dream about the possibilities. This is, you know, kind of the excitement of being a kid, right? And being able to have those, you know, you know, those dreams about what the future may hold. But in order to be a good basketball player, there are certain things that you have to learn how to do. And so my dad was, you know, a great coach, great patience, uh, just, and he was a decent basketball player. He actually coached high school girls basketball for a few years. And so he was, he, he knew what he was doing. And so he created these glasses when I was young and said, all right, you got to learn how to dribble without looking at the ball. And I was like, all right, so these are blinders. So you can keep your head up and you can dribble and you're not looking. You can't see all, you, all by feel. You got to be able to feel it because, you know, you can cheat if you don't have the blinders, right? I can kind of look down every once in a while like this, you know, even my head's up, but I'm looking down, right? So the blinders that, you know, help you just know, you got to know where that ball is without, if you're blind, you got to be able to, to dribble. But it, it's the reality to be successful in basketball, though, uh, to, to look at, you know, let's say the big dream, to be an NBA player, I have to start with some simple tasks, 
You know, learning how to dribble, learning how to shoot a basketball. You know, Bob and I were arguing about this earlier because he doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, really. But, no, he does. But we, we, we were talking about how do you shoot basketball, right? And, and the importance of, you know, you know, the technique that goes into that. But we do this all the time in our life. You know, we, we have goals for ourselves in the future that we, that we want to try to accomplish. And so we break it down and figure out, okay, if, I, if I'm going to achieve that goal, then there's certain things, principles that I have to become good at and efficient at. And in order to get good at those principles and those key uh, behaviors, then there's certain practices or tasks that we need to do in order to develop those skills so that we can then reach our goal. Th- this is our world that we live in in America. We're, we're, we're achievement-based Everything that we do is about achieving a certain goal, right? I mean, now there's many of us, don't get me wrong, that go through life and just kind of, eh, whatever, you know, never think about tomorrow and, and, and have no goals. And, you know, I've got a, a son-in-law, you know, that, you know, come on, dude, get, get, some, get some excitement in your life. We'll have to cut that out of the video, by the way. Um, so, uh, but anyway, uh, we, there's some of us that do that, but most of us, we recognize the importance of having goals of setting some, you know, future dream that we have that we can accomplish, you know. We see it, of course, in sports, but we also see it in business, right? If we want to be successful in business or in our careers, you know, oftentimes, you know, those re- annual reviews from our bosses, you know, okay, well, here's the, what's your goal for this year, right? And set out this goal and, okay, well, how are you going to accomplish that? And so we come up with some principal things that will mean if we, if we are doing these things, if we can measure these things, then we know that we're going to be going to reach that goal. Well, how are we going to get those measurables up? Well, we just need to do these simple tasks. If we do these simple things, then we can reach those goals and we can enjoy the success that we're looking for. I haven't even opened my notes yet. Maybe I won't need it today. Who knows? Um, But uh, the amazing thing or or the thing that maybe I want to take a step back from, though, is that this perspective of achievement has infiltrated the church as well. We have a culture of achievement in the church. And now, maybe some of you are going, well, yeah, that makes sense. This is what we do. We make, this is human humanity, right? This is human nature. We set goals. I mean, we need to have spiritual goals just like we have business goals, right? This is part of what it's all about. But I think, I think too many churches in America today, I think too many Christians in America are enslaved to achievement. Too many of us are are in bondage to legalism. You see, our our churches and our pastors come to us and they and they and they want to cast a mission. They want to this is the idea, right? This is the goal. Mission. What's our mission as a church? What's, 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 what are we trying to accomplish? What is this all about, right? What's the big picture? And, and oftentimes, you know, we've heard some of the popular ones, right? Look, we're going to make disciples. Make disciples who are making disciples. That's the mission. That's the big picture. That's what we're here for. We're here to make disciples who are making disciples or, or purpose. We're, we're, we're supposed to have purpose-driven lives. We're not just going to go around it, so we're going to have goals, and we're going to set on purpose trying to achieve those goals. Even in the alliance, we have this bringing back the king, which is the mission of the alliance. Bringing back the king, this is what we're, this is what we're shooting for. This is the goal. We know we'll achieve it once he comes back. 
so we then create a vision. A vision is kind of those principles that will help us to accomplish the mission. And so we create visions that are based in achievement, about behavior management. If we're going to make, a, make disciples, then we have to be able to be a disciple ourselves. There are certain things, if we're going to be a disciple, that that requires. There are certain Bible studies that we need to do. There's certain knowledge of the Scripture that we need to have. There's certain time that we need to spend in prayer, in, in doing ministry, in going on mission trips. We have all these lists of things that we need to do to show that we're a disciple. But more than that, if we're going to be a disciple who's making disciples, that means that we need to bring someone else who is younger in the faith with us and, and, and begin to teach them what we're doing, to be able to live out that discipleship and to begin to do the practices that we are doing, that we are results-focused. We know we're successful because we're doing the things that we're supposed to be doing as a disciple and we have someone that we are discipling. This is success. And it comes by discipline. Self-discipline. I discipline my life to include all of these pieces into my life, then I'll be successful. And so that brings us down to the simple tasks that we do. That's the list of spiritual disciplines that we're encouraged to be a part of that we're told by our churches, we're told by our pastors, we're told by ourselves that these are the things that we need to do. And, and when we fail to do them, ah, I'm never going to be a disciple who's making disciples. I keep messing it up. It's driven by our own discipline. I got to get disciplined. I got to get this taken care of. Underlying all of this achievement-based mission and vision is the sense that inside of us, we are basically good. That we can do it. It's based in, I mean, we would not expect people to make disciples who are making disciples, right? We wouldn't expect that if we didn't think that they could do it, that there's something inside of us that gives us the ability to be able to do it. And if we're just disciplined enough, if we just practice these tasks, these disciplines enough, then we will get the basics down and then we'll be able to achieve the goal. Galatians chapter 3. <laughs> oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing and by faith? Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected 
by the flesh? So let that sit for a couple of minutes maybe, huh? We, so many of us, so many churches, so many pastors, these three verses were written to today. So many pastors, so many churches, so many Christians are trying to achieve righteousness. Trying to get perfect. Trying to make it to the end, to to reach the goal of being totally righteous, of reach the goal of sanctification. That now I am done, I've done it, I've finished. Under our own strength, on our own abilities, because we're self-disciplined, because we broke it down and we understand that if we just do these things, then we'll be able to accomplish this. And if we accomplish this, then we'll be able to accomplish the goal. So many of our churches, so many of our pastors, so many of our Christians, so many of us in this room are in bondage to legalism. This type of legalism. Bondage to the pursuit of perfection. And here's this thing. (laughs) This perspective has a There are so many people alongside the road to to sanctification, alongside the road to perfection that have been burnt out, that have been crushed, that are filled with guilt and shame because they didn't, weren't able to do it. Because they kept falling back into that same sin over and over again and it kept just cutting them off at the knees because they couldn't read their Bibles every day because they never just got past that next level and they never were able to disciple someone who was making a disciple. We have Christians all around us in this country who are standing around going, I'm just out, I'm just going through the motions, I'm a Christian, but there's nothing I can do. I can't be successful. The perspective is that it's all of, that grace is all about my sin. This is what we fall into. That Thank God for God's grace because I am so sinful, because I am such a failure, because I can never do these things. I can never complete these tasks. I can never reach the goal. And so that's what I need grace for. But listen, we need grace for all of it. Success comes to us by grace. We don't need just grace because of our sin. We need grace because we can't do anything right without it. We are sinful to our core. We are always going to fail. We're always going to mess up. We're never going to be able to reach the goal. Yes, we can reach earthly goals, and this is what churches do. They create these kind of, you know, earthly things, and then they spiritualize them. If you just do these tasks, then you're going to reach the goal. And so you have people that go around. I mean, those who have the personality that are great at mentoring, those guys are heroes in the faith, right? There are heroes in the faith because look at them. They know how to disciple. They're making disciples. They're a disciple who's making a disciple who's making a disciple. That is the goal. Look at them. They're amazing. But you know how many percentage-wise those people are in our, in our world? Not all of us have those skills. 
to be able to be that public mentor, to be able to be that person that can pour into another. Some of us don't even have time to pour into ourselves. Some of us, life is so difficult that we're just trying to get through the next minute. Some of us are so bored right now, they're just trying to get through the next 30 seconds. <laughs> seconds. All right, got it. This, this morning, I want to free us from our bondage. This is what our mission statement, this is what our vision statement is all about turning all of this on its head and saying, no, it is not about what I can do, what I can give God, how, what I can accomplish for God. It is all about him and his amazing grace. And our job is just simply to enjoy what we've been given. The mission that we have is, first of all, to love God and to love others. This is, there's a bunch of churches that have this mission. Love God and love others, right? This is Luke chapter 10, verse 27. You know, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? I mean, this is, this is basic, right? A bunch of churches have this. But understand this mission is not about achievement. This mission is about enjoyment. Because the reality is, if, we are, if you are a Christian, you are already fulfilling this mission. The thief on the cross. Jesus is there. The thief is there. He says, Jesus, will you remember me? Hour later, he's dead. What did he do? Did he make a disciple who's making a disciple? I uh, don't think so. Not in that hour. I mean, he tried with the other thief, right? And the other thief was just, he's a jerk too, right? So he just kept. He fulfilled this mission. The moment he cried out to Jesus. Because it's not us who fulfills the mission. It's Jesus. Matthew chapter 6. No, Matthew chapter 5. Got a lot of passages I want to read today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. This is Jesus. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This love the Lord your God with all your heart strength. It's the beginning of the Ten Commandments. The law. Jesus has done it. He loved the Father perfectly. He loves us perfectly. When we bow our knee to Jesus, we have fulfilled this mission. Because of our proximity to Jesus, not because that we have done it. Let's go on. We need more verses. Well, wait, I'm not going to do those verses yet. I've got I to go back just a second. Creation. This is what we were created for. Love God, love others. You realize this is what we were created for. For five and a half days in Genesis, we read, God is doing all this creation of the sky, of the land, of the sea, of all of these trees and amazing bushes that he's got. And they're pretty cool, aren't they? I mean, they've got a lot of ch changes out there. I mean, different ones out there. It's amazing. But also animals, right? And bugs. Wish you made a few of those. Anyway, all this stuff that he makes for five and a half days, and then, like at the last minute, right, as the sun is setting, he creates, man, humanity. Understand that that first five and a half days, although all of creation was an expression of God's love, in creation there was no love. See, by creating us in his image, he created 
love. He put love into his creation. Because love can only be experienced in relationship. And relationship can only be had when there's free will, the ability to choose. And when there's an opportunity for relationship, we can interact with one another. That we can interact with God. That we can communicate with him. That he can communicate with us. You see, so five and a half days, he creates. There's no love in creation. Then he creates humanity. Boom, now we have love because there's opportunity now for relationship. And then this is the mission of all of us who have been created, to love God and to love others. This is the foundation of it all. And then we come to the New Testament. Jesus fulfills this law by living his perfect life. But let me read some very familiar passages to you. If I can get there eventually. For by grace, read it with me, you have been saved. All right? Through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. See, we get, we get that down. And this is our perspective so often. We think, okay, well, I get saved by grace. So once I bow my knee, then I'm saved by grace. Woo-hoo! So I wouldn't, have had, I wouldn't have been able to be saved if it wasn't for Jesus. But then we step out of that moment in time when we get saved, and now the rest of our life is spent trying to discipline ourselves, trying to do it with works trying to appease God, trying to get closer to God, trying to make him happy with us and do all the things that look Christian. So our whole life is spent legalistically. But this, right after this, verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not that we should accomplish them, not that we should achieve them, but that we simply walk with Jesus in this righteousness that he has offered to us and given to us. He's the one who's righteous, not us. First Corinthians. Our discipleship programs so often fall into the idea, uh, they, they grab Paul and they say, well, Paul says, you know, these things, uh, he, he, we need to, you know, work on it, we need to run this race. And let me, let me address that here, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 19 says, for though I am free, we skip over that. We jump right into this. For, I, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. And he goes in and how he's become, you know, somebody without the law to those without the law in order to save some. He goes, some who are weak, I've become weak so that I can save. So, but he starts with, though I am free. He doesn't have to do any of this. And if he doesn't do any of it, it doesn't mean he's a bad Christian, necessarily. If he doesn't do any of it, it doesn't mean that he's going to lose his salvation. If he doesn't do any of it, it doesn't mean that he's going to be, you know, far away from God. God is always with us. The moment we bow our knee to Jesus, 
He is here. He is with us always, everywhere we go. We can't get away from him, even when we sin. This is why Paul later talks about, or before this, talks about in chapter 6. You know, don't give yourself to a prostitute. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's in you. Hello, what are you doing joining these things together? That's not right. Because he's always with us, even if we choose to do sin, he's still there. Down to verse 23. He says, Paul goes on, he says, I do it all. Why does he do it? So that God will be happy with him? Does he do it so that he can achieve? So he can have this list of converts? So that God will go, oh man, you're so amazing. Man, you're my favorite. What does Paul say? He says, I'm the least, right? Least of the apostles. I'm the most sinful person in the world. That's, that's his perspective of himself. So why does he do it? He, do, he says, I do it all for the sake of of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. It's not about achieving it, it's about enjoying it. He wants to enjoy the blessings of the gospel. He's not trying to achieve the gospel, he's not trying to get saved. He's not trying to say, look at me, I'm such a great person. He's just trying to enjoy this amazing blessing that we get from salvation. This amazing relationship we have. This is the vision of our church It's not about achieving a mission. It's about recognizing that the mission has already been accomplished. The moment we bowed our knee to Jesus, we accomplished that mission already. And so now, if it's already accomplished, think about this. If it's already accomplished, it destroys achievement. Achievement goes away. I've already got it. LeBron James, do you think he's still wearing glasses like this? Probably not. Is he still striving to get to the NBA? He's in the NBA. Do you think maybe he gets a little bit nervous before games? I don't think so. I mean, maybe, but he's not striving. He's already achieved. Now, he may want more championships. He might want to enjoy more of that life. But he's not, this is, this is what we have as Christians The mission is already done in our life. We're already loving God and we're already loving others. Now you might say, well, yeah, we don't look like it. You're right. We're not enjoying it. We're not experiencing it. But it's not about achieving it. Think about the homeless person. Sitting on the streets, maybe for 20, 25, 30 years. All of a sudden, somebody comes up to him dressed in a suit been a bunch of movies kind of like this before, but I don't remember any of the titles off the hand. But, and they come up to him, hey, excuse me, are you Sean Vandermark? Well, uh, yes, I am. Thank you very much. And they say, here, I've got something for you. And they found out they had a relative. Billionaire. He's dead, but you know what? He gave it all to you. Imagine the process that homeless person might have to go through to get used to the fact that they have it all. I mean, maybe the first couple nights he's still sleeping on the street. Maybe he's sleeping outside this amazing mansion that he has because he just likes the sound of, you know, the critters that are all around. It it helps him to sleep or he likes to see the stars over his head instead of having a roof. But the mansion's his. This is the Christian life. It's not about getting the mansion. We've got the mansion. It's about getting used to living in the mansion. It's about learning to experience all that's there for us. Understanding that we've got somebody who will cook meals for us. Understanding that we've got this amazing bed that we can sleep in. This is the vision of our church, is not to achieve. 
It's to recognize that Jesus achieved for us. Now our life is spent to enjoy him. To understand what we've got. All that we have. And that takes a lifetime. Back to the handy, handy Bible I got here. Galatians 2, familiar verses, but it's so, so, so seldom do we live this out. Hear these words again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who what? Lives in me, right? It is not the life. We are not living. It's not ours to try to achieve and accomplish. It's all about Jesus. I do not know if, see, I do not, I got to read this, sorry. I have been crucified in Christ, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose This is what we are doing. We are denying the resurrection. We're denying the death of Christ every time we think that we have to somehow strive to achieve the Christian life. This is scandalous. I think it was Philip Yancey who talked about the scandal of grace. That we as Christians, the moment we bow our knee, we don't have to do anything the rest of our life. We are saved. We have all eternity to hope for. Doesn't matter if we continue in our sinful ways. Doesn't matter if we never crack open the Bible. Again, the thief on the cross, do you think he read scripture? Uh, maybe he did before he got there, but right? I mean, this, he didn't change his life. He just died. And this is the scandal of grace. But understand that we have to allow the scandal of grace to exist. We can't reject it and think and push on everyone, every Christian, that they have to somehow live this out now, that it's upon their discipline. It's about them making sure that they you know, put in the effort in order to achieve, in order to accomplish, so that God will be happy with them, so that they can be closer to Jesus. This is not the gospel. Grace is not just at the moment of salvation. It's for all time after that. And we have to learn to embrace that. Now, this does not sit well with pastors and churches because if we tell our people, hey, you don't have to show up at church next week. Doesn't matter. You're still going to heaven. You still get all the eternity. It's going to be great. You don't have to give. How many churches will we have around, right? I mean, so this does not sit well with churches or with pastors, but it sits well with me because I want you guys to fall in love with Jesus, to follow him because of his love for you, and you realize that you don't deserve it. The homeless man doesn't go into the house and begin to scribble all over the house and destroy it because it's, oh my gosh, I got this gift and I don't deserve it. There's nothing in my life. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a crook. I'm a druggie. I should be on the street, but Jesus died for me. Do you get that, right? This is what I want. I want all of us to fall in love with Jesus and what he's done for us. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little crazy here. Let's slow down. (laughs) This felt like I flipped on the, you know, like Southern Baptist channel or something. (laughs) 
Huh, all right. <laughs> so I'm supposed to be preaching about relying on God this week. Um, so let me touch on that just a brief, briefly. Our vision, our mission is to love God and love others. It's already accomplished. And so our job in the vision statement, I just, the vision statement is meant to tell us, okay, so what do we do with that? It's, that's our mission, but it's already accomplished. So the vision is that we would fully enjoy our relationship with Jesus. It's simple. It's, it's all about him. That we would turn our eyes to Jesus. That we would be thankful for what he's done for us. And then after that, our three statements. Really, it, the statements are not, again, about us trying to accomplish or achieve. The statements are bar, about the fruit of eternity that we can appreciate and enjoy now. See, it's not spiritual disciplines. See, spiritual disciplines tells us that, okay, it's something we have to strive for. We have to, you know, buckle down and make happen because if we don't make it happen, then we're in trouble. We're going to fail. That, that's, they're, they're spiritual invitations. The, the spiritual practices that this sheet of paper that I gave you this is not legalism. This is not do this or die. This is not do this in order to achieve. This is do this because this is what we're going to enjoy for all eternity. These things allow us the opportunity to rely more fully on God. And this is what we're going to do for all eternity. We're going to rely on God. And so because we have this accomplishment, but we haven't fully experienced it yet, the spiritual practices are about helping us to enjoy what we have. And so if we fail, if we you know, started January 1 to read through the Bible in a year and we've read twice so far, we, yeah, it's okay. God has invited you to do that. He hasn't commanded you to do it. Now, you can be careful there. What are you talking about? God said you're supposed to read his word. I get that. But understand, this is not God. Jesus has fulfilled this. We get to be a part of it simply by grace. So relying on God's, on, on the Holy Spirit, God's word and prayer, those three things, it's God's word is an education for us. We get to learn about who God is. We get to learn about this truth that I'm just preaching today, about grace. We get to learn these things if, if we just open this up. But understand, it's not, we don't have to do this. It's an invitation. And if we do this, then we get to experience a little bit of eternity. We get to experience this amazing reality of who Jesus is. Prayer is a conversation. Time spent is communicate. I don't think we understand. We prayed for five, six, seven minutes, whatever, earlier. I don't, do we, do we recognize that that's just crazy? That this God, self-existent, all-powerful, all-knowing, you know, that guy, omni-guy, that he will listen to us? That he'll speak to us? Do we get that, right? I mean, that's crazy. And then the Holy Spirit piece of it is the experiences that we have. The day-to-day -day things that happen where you go, uh, that's not a coincidence. 
What's God doing here? Back to basketball. If we, if we have, if we're LeBron James, see, some of us are LeBron James, but we're not even going to the court. We're just, we're, we're staying, we're not picking up basketball. Because we tried that and it just didn't work and we kept failing. Or LeBron James. So what does LeBron James need to do? He just needs to, first of all, we just need to show up. We need to spend time with Jesus. We just, I mean, I just love him, right? Just enjoy what we have. And the spiritual practices are just simply shooting. Pick up the ball and shoot. Pick the ball and dribble. Oh my gosh, I can dribble. <laughs> Look at that. It went in. Right? For some of us, that's a miracle, right? <laughs> this, this is what I'm calling are all of you to. This is what I feel like God is calling me to. And I want us to step into it. And I know for some of us, this is, it's going to be really hard because you've spent your whole life achieving. And so for you, you might just need to trust Trust God. Maybe, maybe the biggest step of faith for you is to stop doing certain spiritual disciplines. Maybe that's the biggest step of faith because you're still earning your salvation. Every time you open the Bible, it's not about getting to know who God is. It's about making him happy. Every time you bow your head to pray, it's not about enjoying who he is. It's about making sure you do your due diligence so that he'll bless you. The risk in all of this for me, and I think for us as leaders of this church, is this mission, is like I kind of alluded to earlier, that you all just stop doing it. Or that it just becomes chaos because there's no clear, okay, you're supposed to do this, so now everybody's just doing their own thing. But I think God has called me to trust him. And this is what I said last week, that I believe that if we all focus our attention on Jesus, that he will move this body in unison together that we won't be more separated, there won't be more chaos. Now there might be chaos, but it won't be chaos. And instead, we will find that we are more united, that we're more connected, that we're more, we begin to experience more of his love and sharing more of that love. All right, worship team, why don't you come up? Thank you for listening, and I, my prayer is that the impreciseness of my language or the overzealousness of my tone would not be a distraction from what the Spirit may be saying to you this morning. May he be glorified.
May he get all the credit. In Jesus' name, amen.